Coming up on this episode, author Liz Ferrame joins us to talk about her debut novel, Canopy. Welcome to episode 268 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. I'm Will Knaus, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Mr. Jeff Adams. Hello there, everybody. Welcome back, Rainbow Romance readers. We are so glad that you could join us for another episode of the show. We've got some great stuff coming up for you. But first, here's a bit of breaking news. He even did sound effects. I'm usually the one who tries to do the goofy sound effects. (laughs) So we just want to remind you to make sure to join us this Wednesday, November 18th for the next episode of Big Gay Fiction Live. This time out, we're going to be welcoming narrators Sean Crisden, Kirk Graves, Joel Leslie, and Nick J. Russo, and we're going to have some holiday story time. Each of these wonderful narrators are making a selection from something that they have voiced that is a holiday story, and they will be sharing a little bit of that with us. Again, that's Wednesday, November 18th. It's going to be at 7 p.m. Eastern. That's 4 Pacific. You'll find it at facebook.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. And if you do miss this live, uh, we're going to leave it on Facebook through Thanksgiving weekend. So it'll be there through Sunday, November 29th. And then after that, it will actually show up in the regular podcast feed December 21st. So you will have it for Christmas week. So we really hope you will join us either live or later on in December for what is sure to be a really awesome event. Yeah, definitely looking forward to that. Now, before we get to this week's author interview, we want to quickly mention something that we have been watching lately, something we highly recommend. It's a new limited series called Equal. It is currently available on HBO Max, and it's a really remarkable and empowering look at the people and situations that built the gay rights movement. There are four episodes, each with their own focus, and the first one is called Birth of a Movement, and it talks about how in the post-war years in the 1950s here in the U.S., how different people were looking for a sense of community. They found each other during World War II, and now they were looking for that sense of community now that they were back home. This episode shines the spotlight on people like Harry Hay, who founded the Mattachine Society, and Del Martin and Phyllis Lyons, who founded the Daughters of Belitis. Another episode focuses on transgender pioneers, people like Lucy Hicks Anderson, Jack Starr, and, of course, Christine Jorgensen. It also details the events that led up to the 1966 Compton Riot in San Francisco. The third episode is called Black is Beautiful, Gay is Good. And this episode details the histories of important pioneers like Lorraine Hansberry, playwright and activist probably best remembered for her show Raisin in the Sun, Bayard Rustin, who was one of the key architects of the civil rights movement, He worked hand-in-hand alongside Martin Luther King, and he did so while being openly gay in a time when it was not particularly chic to do so. They also talk about Jose Saria, who was the first openly gay person to run for public office. And in the concluding episode of the series, Stonewall from Rebellion to Liberation fills us in on what was going on in New York City at the end of the 1960s and how what was going on in the community at that time led to the Stonewall riots. It focuses on several different stories of people like Sylvia Rivera and Craig Rodwell. And while the actual history of the riot itself is a little sketchy, we will never know exactly what happened. I think this specific episode really hones in on specific details from people who were there to help paint a broader picture about what it meant and the match it lit and how the very first Pride March in 1970 to commemorate the anniversary of the riots was really the birth of the modern gay rights movement. 
Equal is part history lesson and a rousing call to action. It paints an intimate portrait of all these complex and interesting people using historical footage and reenactments. Each of the characters in the series are portrayed by a, a cavalcade of out and proud queer stars. They're all utterly remarkable. I loved every single one of them. And of course, the series is narrated by Billy Porter. And we all know Billy Porter makes everything better. Yes, he does. His narration sense going between really delivering the emotional importance of the events, but also occasionally having a nice sassy attitude as well, was really good. And you mentioned that cavalcade of stars. I referenced IMDb often because I'm like, that person looks familiar. Oh my God, it's so-and-so. It was really fascinating to get these pieces of history bound together like this. And it shows how fractured some of my knowledge of the gay rights movement is. Because, for example, I knew about the Mattachine Society. I've learned a lot about the Mattachine Society over the years. But the Sisters of Belitis was a little something that was more on the edge of my understanding. Each of these episodes really brought forward some really interesting and new information for me. And I really liked how it was presented where they gave us actual statements, actual recorded statements, actual photography where they had it. But then they used recreations in some cases and in some other instances, actors portraying these people speaking directly to the camera, directly to the audience to convey the message that they had. It was really unique. It's really special and I hope everyone has the opportunity to watch it. Now we'd like to take a moment to introduce you to another show that is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Is monogamy dead? Are we expecting too much of Tinder? Do millennials even want to find love? The Dateable Podcast, part of the Frolic Network, is an insider's look into modern dating that the Huffington Post calls one of the top 10 podcasts about love and sex. I'm your host, Yue Shu, former dating coach turned dating sociologist. And you'll also hear from my co-host, Julie Kravchik. On each episode, we'll talk to real daters about everything, from sex parties to sex droughts, date fails to diaper fetishes, and first moves to first loves. Ever wondered why a first date didn't turn into a second date? Check out our episode called The Exit Interview, where we helped one of our listeners get answers by calling up five of his recent first dates. Some other notable episodes include The Science of Dating, which uncovers the why of certain behaviors, Getting Out of the Friend Zone, which is always a hot topic, and plenty of he said, she said experiments with full-on post-date interviews. Tune in every Wednesday on your favorite podcast player as we explore this crazy dateable world. I'm really excited to bring Liz Frame to the show. We first met Liz when we moved to the Sacramento area a couple years ago, going to readings that were hosted by the Queer Sacramento Authors Collective. And she was reading from a book that she was working on at the time called Canopy. And it was the story of Vivian Chastain. And right from the first time I heard her read from this, I'm like, oh my God, I need to read more about Vivian because the, the, the characters that she created and the setting that she put them in was just so powerful. You were just drawn right into this. And Canopy has finally been released. It got picked up for publication by Nine Star Press. And it's really exciting to have this going out there. There are two more books in the series that we'll hear Liz talk about. I've heard some of book two during her readings, which is also really awesome. We're just really excited to present this debut author to you so that you can pick this up for your TBR. Liz, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much. I appreciate it being here. I am so excited that Canopy is coming out. It's been 
about two years almost since the first time I heard you read some of this at a gathering for the Queer Sacramento Authors Collective. And I'm like, this is going to be a great book and I need to read more of it. So I'm excited to finally be able to get one and read it. So first off, congratulations. Thank you so much. Tell us about what Canopy is about and a little bit too on the bigger Vivian Chastain series. Canopy is set in Sacramento, California in 2004. It follows the main character whose name is Vivian Chastain. It's following her as she's adjusting to civilian life after having been in the military. She settles into a new routine while she's finishing up college and working as a bartender. And she has some PTSD after her time in the military. So she's covering up a really intense level of anxiety with sort of fake bravado and swagger. And now that she's out, all she wants is some peace and quiet. But her whole trajectory changes when she stumbles upon a really heinous crime in progress and literally has to fight for her life to to get away. And while she's recovering from that fight, she falls in love with someone who I like to describe her as being tall in stature, but short on emotional intelligence. And that sort of toxic union gives Vivian the relationship she thinks she needs. But given her insecurities and traumatic past, she's clinging to this relationship, even while it's destroying her. I will add that the relationship is polyamorous, which is not something that comes naturally to Vivian. And throughout the story, all of her relationships end up sort of being strained to the breaking point as she continues to seek out balance. And she turns to her best friend for support, but she comes up empty handed there and ends up finding camaraderie and care from the last person she would have thought. Canopy does not have a happy ending. Um, It's the first of a three book series. So the end of it sort of hops right over into book two, which is called Stitches and Sepsis. There's a very abrupt end to Canopy. And as you asked earlier about the whole series, so the whole story arc follows, all three books follow Vivian over a three year period. And since we do talk romance on the show, does Vivian get her happy at the end of the trilogy? Can you really reveal that too much? <laughs> well, you know, without without giving any spoilers, I will say that by the time you get to book three, Vivian's starting to... Yeah, I would say that the relationship she's in in book three is is very good for her. That's good. I like that. From the first time I heard it, I'm like, I hope she comes out good on the end of all this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she, it's a really rough path. She's got some challenges, but, it, you know... And, and I will say that I am by no stretch of the imagination a romance writer. This is not a romance series, but there are some relationships in it. And um, it does smooth out by the end of book three. That's good. As long as somebody comes out happy for them, I'm really good with that. <laughs> what was your inspiration for Vivian? She's, she comes across as such this rich, vibrant character, even as she goes through all this stuff in her life. She's mm-hmm. just, you, the first time I heard it, it's like, She's interesting. I want more. Where did she come from for you? You know, I, I, I had this sort of really loose idea bouncing in, around in my head for quite some time, honestly, based on some of my own time in the military and, and as a bartender afterwards. So I just had all this, these experiences and things that were all sort of needing to be put down on paper. So, but, but as a writer, I am there are several writing styles and I'm what is called a pantser. 
So you're either a plotter where you really meticulously plot everything out before you sit down to write, or you're a pantser where you just sort of fly by the seat of your pants and, and just go for it without a plan. So I'm a pantser, so I didn't plot anything out. And as I sat down to start writing, Vivian, Vivian just sort of formed herself every time I sat down to write. So there wasn't really any master plan there. She just happened. Mm -hmm. Did you have a plan for like where the trilogy would end up as you started or did it all just kind of roll itself out as you went? Yeah, there was, there was no master plan there at all. I, <laughs> I knew for that. Nice. No, I, I knew when I started the first book that it would take me three books to tell the whole story. There really was no master plan there at all. And, and there were, I didn't know what was going to happen in book three, just like I didn't know what was going to happen in book one or two. As you looked across the whole arc of it when you were done, because you've got all three books basically done at this mm -hmm. point, how much revision did you have to do to pull a, pull the story arc through or did it all kind of work out? Because I know when I've pantsed before, sometimes it's like, I started here and I ended up there, but boy, the middle doesn't necessarily make sense anymore. <laughs> Yeah. So when I finished book one, when I finished Canopy, I sent it out to my beta reader, who's also sort of my writing mentor, Pat Henshaw. And she provided me with some very Pat style feedback, which is <laughs> kind of cuts close to the bone, but I appreciate her for that. And what I learned was being a very new writer at the time that I had was trying to do too much in Canopy. Mm -hmm. And I based on the feedback that I got from her, I had to pull out over half of the story and take it out and then, and fix it. So but a big chunk of what I pulled out of Canopy actually ended up starting to be the foundation of Stitches and Sepsis, which is the second book. So, you know, and that's what happens when you don't plot out ahead of time, right? Exactly. You, luckily, luckily you were able to take that material in spin it into another book. So you didn't necessarily just leave stuff on the cutting room floor either. Yeah, oh, that would have hurt. <laughs> that would have hurt a lot. <laughs> you shared so many chapters early with the readings you were doing here in Sacramento. I know a lot of authors cringe at the idea of sharing chapters in some cases before beta, beta readers have come across it mm -hmm. or while it's still so new, or even when the book's not slated for a release. What was it like for you to share that work and what feedback were you getting as, as you did that in those early readings? You know, I, I, I did that because I just didn't know any better. I'm so new to all of this. So it didn't even occur to me that sharing my work publicly before having a contract or a release date could even be an issue. But what I got out of that was a lot of really great feedback and results from those readings so I am glad that I did it. It was very difficult at first to, as a new writer, to, to put myself out there like that and sh share publicly in front of lots of people this work that, as, as you said, in some cases hadn't even been to a beta reader yet. It was straight, raw writing, you know, work in progress. But I I'm, I'm glad I did it. How much did things change from beta readers to when you got it to your publisher to, you know, as it comes out and all the editing's now done for Canopy? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I did have to literally rip Canopy in half, you know, and take <laughs> out a big chunk of it. So that was a drastic change for, for the first book. The second and third books, 
not so not as much a few scenes that i had to rework or or cut based on beta feedback here and there but nothing too drastic nothing nearly as drastic as what happened with canopy what kind of research did you do for this book you you said it you know in in the near past of about 15 years ago mm-hmm. was that stuff that you'd all lived through in sacramento so you didn't have much research to do or were there things you you had to brush up on yeah so honestly as you say i didn't have to do much for canopy i had i did live in midtown sacramento during the time period that the story takes place not all but many of vivian's experiences came from my own and the two other books in the series did require research but i guess i'll save that for another interview <laughs> <laughs> well i was going to ask kind of connected to that what can you tease us about what's to come you hinted a little bit there talking about the series i can say that it gets worse before it gets better as far as vivian's journey and i don't make it an easy ride for her at all and she she has you know several struggles that she has to overcome but i'm glad with the way it all resolves in in the final book what was it that grabbed you about this story to make it the thing that you started putting out there as what you wanted to be your author debut you know vivian was just screaming to be put down on paper and have her story told i did try to write a few other things in between but this story arc was just too much of a draw and i kept coming back to it i can't really pinpoint why uh, but you know i just the way my creative mind works i guess i was just really focused on circling back circling back and and getting this one done what got you started writing in general when i was little my mother had an author friend named uh, james d foreman we called him jay and i was enamored by the fact that authors were real live people <laughs> <laughs> and I can remember typing away on my father's old manual typewriter when I was like seven or eight years old, drafting my first story ever, which I sent in the mail to Jay in the hopes that somehow I'd become this amazing author and, and make it big, you know, as this little kid. And he was kind enough to send me a reply with feedback on my writing. But after that, I wrote on and off through adolescence and early adulthood and had a total lack of focus and drive at that point. I never finished anything that I started, but on my 38th birthday, I made a promise to myself that I would get serious about writing and really give it my all and stick with it. And now here I am writing my fourth full-length novel and have one that's about to be released or has been released. It certainly hasn't been an easy process by any means. <laughs> Having setbacks while writing, hard to swallow feedback from beta readers uh, and uh, rejections from publishers and agents. I'm just happy to still be standing and still writing. Well, it's quite the testament too, not only from, you know, getting that spark at 38 that you wanted to write and wanted to write this story. And then the arc of you just getting it done. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. so many people want to write a book and don't ever either start one or ever finish it. And having watched you over the span that I've known you, it's been inspirational. I mean, even as somebody who's been published to watch you keep just driving forward, hmm. I think is a, is a great story. Well, you know, and I, I 
owe a lot to the writers groups that I'm a member of, especially for QSAC, the Queer Sacramento Authors Group. That is where I went when I was just getting started. And uh, you guys welcomed me with open arms. My very first, I went to one of your, the group's readings as a, just as an audience member. And afterwards, Jay Scott Coatsworth, who's sort of the, one of the founding members of the group, was so warm and welcoming. And he just came up, and started talking to me. And he heard, you know, that I was trying to start writing and, and he invited me to join. And I was just like, who, me? I'm nobody. I don't, you know, but, and, and having, getting to spend time with everybody in the group and hear everybody's, you know, really great advice and just, just a supportive group. And that's really helped me to just to, to keep moving and keep trying. Who are some of your author influences? I love that Jay, that you knew Jay early and that he in turn encouraged you when you sent him that first manuscript. I mean, that's awesome. I don't think every writer would necessarily do that to take Mm -hmm. that time. Who else kind of influences you as, as you write and as you read? I think the two that are at the top of my list are Haruki Murakami and Michelle T. They have been my longtime favorites. I have an entire shelf of books right here of just their work. They're two totally different writing styles, different genres, but something about both of those authors really uh, resonates with me. For those who aren't familiar, what what kind of books are those? Haruki, he writes sort of magical realism. There's a common theme throughout most of his books about sort of an isolated single man trying to just figure things out. Uh, but the way he paints the picture of the, the worlds that he develops, I don't know what it is about them, but it just really draws me in. And I find myself thinking about them months and years later, and I reread the books over and over. And Michelle, she just really writes very shoots from the hip about her experiences of living in San Francisco and Arizona and addresses, you know, drug addiction and just struggling to get pay the bills. And she's just very real, very real. What have you been reading recently that you might recommend to our listeners? I, I just finished reading a book called The Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern. It involves a little bit of, or a lot of magical realism, uh, which is, I just can't even, it's just such a colorful novel. There's so much in there to, to absorb. I almost feel like I need to read it again, but the library told me I had to give it back. So <laughs> <laughs> please bring it back and you can check it out again later sometime. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned a fourth book. So Vivian's going to be a trilogy. Mm-hmm. What is this fourth book you've been working on? What can you tease us about? Let's see. What can I share without getting too far ahead of myself. Uh, it's, it's, it's a different story arc. The, the book's working title right now is Pinned, and it is proving to be a real challenge to write. It takes place in the East Bay. The main character's name is Randy, and she has a cat named Porkchop. <laughs> I will say that Vivian, Buck, and Bear, who are all from the Vivian Chastain series, do make appearances in Pinned, though Pinned is, is not part of the Vivian Chastain series. This is really Randy's story. But it's, it's coming along. I found it challenging because I've been writing. I write in first person. So I've been writing from Vivian's perspective for years now, mm-hmm. writing these three books. 
And so having to switch gears to write from Randy's perspective has been so challenging. I've had to keep going back and re-editing the dialogue and everything because it it's, I'm like, oh, that sounds like Vivian, not Randy. I need to fix that. It's cool how you're building what I'll call a universe where like mm-hmm. Vivian and the characters from there can cross to the other book and not be in that series, but, you know, be in this larger universe. It's always fun when you find the crossovers like that. Yeah, it's neat uh, to, to be reading a different book by the same author and a character you recognize is sort of pops up. That's always fun. How would you describe the writing that you're trying to do, like looking at Vivian and looking at the new book with Pinned, what kind of makes a book by you, a book by you? Do you, have you, have you kind of found your trademark yet? I'm trying to ensure that my books are generally focused on a really strong female lead, generally, you know, somewhere on the LGBTQ plus spectrum. I try to make my, especially my lead characters, just real people that that the readers can connect with and that I connect with as well. So I think that's sort of my, the, my basis. And while they may be people that are very relatable, they may run into some situations that might not happen to everybody in everyday life, but as how they navigate those, I try to, to make how other people would respond. So, we, you know, we don't have some like super spy, you know, guy, MacGyvering stuff. You know, it's it's a real person handling a situation. Mm-hmm. Grounded in, in reality. Yeah. Do you think you'd go down the magical realism path? You've mentioned magical realism a couple of times as we've talked. Is, is that somewhere you'd want to go? You know, I've thought about it, but I, I haven't ever sat down and actually tried it. So I don't know that I, if... I could be successful in writing something like that. I do enjoy reading it though. Mm-hmm. I'm right there with you. Sometimes I read those things like, I don't know that I could do that. Build that whole world out and everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of scary. Yep. <laughs> so Vivian is written in that near past, the near yeah. history. Are you, are you going to continue to play in the past a little bit or are you going to come more contemporary? Yeah, so Pinned is taking place loosely in like 2019. So I'm bringing it up a little bit. If there is a call for more books in the Vivian Chastain series, which would be like 2007, 2008, 2009, I would gladly write more of them. So I could potentially go back to writing in that era as well. And I'm already sort of loosely, again, I'm a pantser, not a plotter, but I'm already getting distracted by thoughts of what's going to, what I'm going to write after pen. And I think that will be around this, this time frame as well. Nice. And it'll be cool to see Vivian as she makes her cameo, like 10 years out from mm-hmm. the end of the third book. So that's kind of fun. Yep. I, I had a lot of fun when I was writing that, just trying to figure out you know, what's Vivian like now, what's she up to, what's going on in her life. How has she changed? Has she changed? More books for the TBR to keep up, if if nothing else, (laughs) to find out what she's doing in the future. (laughs) How can people keep up with you online to know when the the next books in the Vivian Chastain series are coming, plus pinned and everything else? I I can be found on my website, which is lizfarame.com. 
I'm also on Facebook and kind of on Twitter. I'm still trying to figure that one out, but I'm definitely on Facebook. I have put a few of the videos from my readings on a channel on YouTube. And I also have a profile on, with buy links on queerromanceinc.com. And those are all the places you can find updates about me anyway. Excellent. We will link to all of those, especially the YouTube stuff. Folks who have not read this yet should go and look at those videos because it will help just draw you right into Vivian's world, just like I got sucked into it. So we'll definitely link to those. Liz, thank you so much for coming to talk to us. And congratulations again on the release of Canopy. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking with you. And I'm so glad to have been on your show. This week's interview transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the author interview for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. Don't forget, the show notes page also has links to everything that we've talked about. And thanks again to Liz for taking some time and coming to talk to us about Canopy. It's been really wonderful to see this being a work in progress all the way through to a final book. And if you pick it up, I really hope you enjoy it. All right. I think that'll do it for this episode. Now, coming up next in episode 269, Masmatics joins us to tell us about the latest book in her Stallion Ridge series. I'm so glad we finally had Maz on the show. She's been on a couple times at different capacities. We've never gotten to sit down and talk in depth about her writing. So it was really exciting to do that. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, please stay strong. Be safe, and above all else, keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Our original theme music is composed by Daryl Banner. Daryl Banner.